You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet the firsts. Alhamdulillah, uh, we now move on to a companion who is well known in the seerah and whose name is pretty popular amongst the Muslims. So I know we didn't have a Maymuna last time. Do we have Hudayfas here today? Where are all of our Hudayfas? Any Hudayfas? Any sisters named Hudayfa? No? No Hudayfas? All right, Valley Ranch is looking very weird, guys. So no Maymuna, no Hudayfa. But you all know a Hudayfa, right? All right, alhamdulillah. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, one of the most prominent companions of the Prophet sallallahu And what I wanted to do is get back into the lives of the Ansar of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And subhanAllah, I was thinking about where to move to after we finished uh, with Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha and want to get into some of the extended biographies of the Ansar that we have not yet covered. And this was the first person that came to my mind. Why? Because much of the emphasis over the last few weeks has been on the role that the hypocrites played within the seerah of the Prophet And the man that we're going to be talking about today is the furthest from an nifaq the furthest from hypocrisy, to the point that he's most famous for being sahib al-sirr, the companion of the secret, the secret keeper. And what secret was he keeping? He was the one who the Prophet entrusted with the names of the munafiqeen, the names of the hypocrites. Imagine how far a person has to be from nifaq, that he walks amongst the people and he has been entrusted by the Prophet with the names of the hypocrites themselves. So subhanAllah, you walk in Medina and one man other than the Prophet and then after the death of the Prophet knows all of the hypocrites by name. And of course the hypocrites felt an insecurity around him because they were afraid that one day he might expose them. But of course, he stayed true to the secret that the Prophet ﷺ gave to him of those names, and he maintained it. Fasahib al-Sirr is his nickname, the secret keeper of the Prophet ﷺ, Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now something very interesting about him, like Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu, his father is also a Sahabi. His father is one of the few elderly people from Medina to embrace Islam, and has a story that's cut short. And so we've talked about Amr ibn al-Jamuh anhu. We talked about Abdullah ibn Haram, the father of Jabir, may Allah be pleased with them. His father is similar in that he's one of the few elders to embrace Islam from Al-Madina. And his name is Al-Yaman. Now Al-Yaman, we got, we got the Yemenis in here, right? So Al-Yaman means literally the Yemeni, right? But that's not his name. And he's actually not Yemeni. So it's very interesting, even the name of his father, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. His name, Al-Yaman, is a laqab, it's a nickname that has a very specific story behind it, and a very interesting one. His name's actually Hussein or Hisl. 
Hüseyin بالسين Hüseyin ابن جابر العبسي Hüseyin ابن جابر العبسي رضي الله تعالى عنه اليماني and he's from Ghatafan most likely so we don't actually know for sure what tribe he comes from but the story of how he ends up in Medina is a very interesting one basically when he was a young man he got into a brawl so a, a bunch of youth got into a fight and he accidentally killed somebody in that brawl as a young man so what he did was he basically fled and he ran until he ended up in Al-Madina and at that time it was called of course Yathrib and he pledged his allegiance he became a Halif he pledged his allegiance to Banu Abdul Ashhal of Al-Aws Banu Abdul Ashhal which is a sub-tribe of Al-Aws now the two tribe the two main tribes of the Ansar are Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj right and Aws and Khazraj both come from where come on y'all please help me where do they come from originally? Yemen. Okay, both Al-Aws and Khazraj are originally Yemeni in their origin. And so here, when he got to Medina, Halatha Bani Abdul Ashhal, he immediately gave his allegiance to Banu Abdul Ashhal. They took him in and he said, I will serve you, I'll do whatever I have to do and I'm loyal to you as a tribe. Will you take me in and I have these certain skill sets? They called him Al-Yamani because he pledged to the Yamani tribe. Okay? a tribe that was known to be from Al-Yaman, which is one of the two main tribes of the Ansar. And just a small uh, portion of history, just I don't expect you all to remember this when we talked about As'ad and the Sa'ads and Usaid and the original Ansar. Uh, but uh, this tribe of Banu Abdul Ashhal is, is an important tribe in Islam. There's a narration from Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she said, ثَلَاثَةٌ مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ لَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدٌ يَعْتَدُّ عَلَيْهِمْ فَضْلًا there are three Ansar that no one can surpass in terms of virtue. And she said, Kulluhum min Bani Abdul Ashhal. All three of them are from the same tribe of Banu Abdul Ashhal, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Usaid ibn Hudayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Abbad ibn Bishr. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, who we spoke about radiallahu anhu, Usaid ibn Hudayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who we spoke about, and the last one is someone that we still have not spoken about, Abbad ibn Bishr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Sheikh Muhammad al-Shanawi, that's another uh, shout out to him. So Maymuna is his daughter, Abbad is his first son. So Abu Abbad. Abbad is a beautiful companion who we'll probably cover within the next couple of months, inshallah ta'ala. So these three are all from Banu Abdul Ashhan. And this is basically the tribe Hudayfa grows up around. Now, this gets even more interesting in the seerah. Because he wasn't really... Madani, and he was kind of free, even though he was a Halif, he swore his allegiance to Banu Abdul Ashhad. He made his way around Medina and he actually became a pretty wealthy businessman. So he bought a house in Mecca and he had a house in Yathrib. So Yaman, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hussein, the father of Hudayfa, is basically a resident of both places, Mecca and Medina. And Hudayfa, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, says, I actually was born in Mecca. So he was, he's actually born in Mecca, but he grew up in Medina. So he would go between the two cities and there aren't many people that you find in the Sira that had that common type of uh, route constantly between Yathrib at the time before it was Medina and Mecca. So he's in Medina, Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu and his family are in Medina and they didn't know the da'wah of the Prophet in Mecca. So a lot of this is implied 
what appears to be the case is that during the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, they were entirely settled in Medina at that time. They're entirely settled in Yathrib at that time, even if they had some things here or there between Mecca and Medina. And so they actually embraced Islam without seeing the Prophet ﷺ himself give them da'wah. So who gets the credit for them embracing Islam? The first person the Prophet ﷺ sent to Medina, Musab ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala so they embraced Islam along with Banu Abdul Ashhal, believing in the Prophet ﷺ without having seen him as a Prophet of Allah. So they're very Madani in that sense. They're very much so like the people of Medina in that sense. And Hudayfa describes the excitement that they had to go see the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca and to give him bay'ah, to give him allegiance. So they were amongst the participants of Bay'atul Aqaba, Athania, the second pledge to the Prophet. ﷺ in secrecy, in Hajj, in Mecca, from the people of Al-Madinah, uh, from the original batch of the Ansar that went to the Prophet So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu was a young man. He and his parents and his siblings have all embraced Islam uh, with the Prophet And they are waiting for the Prophet arrival in Al-Madinah. And at that point, they're completely settled in Medina. Now, Hudayfa says, we were not Badriyun. We didn't get the virtue of being from the people of Badr. Another twist in the story. You would think that he would be from the people of Badr because these are the first Ansar. So of course they rushed to, to fight with the Prophet ﷺ, right? Uh, to be on his side in Badr. But another twist. He says that I and my father were traveling back to Medina and our Islam was secret. And he said, Abu Jahl caught us. Now, at this point now, this is around the time when the Prophet ﷺ is escaping Mecca. Abu Jahl and some of the people are monitoring the pathways between Mecca and Medina, right? And so they caught a few people, right? Uh, uh, obviously, Ayyash anhu, we spoke about, Ibn Abi Rabi'ah. And so he said, we got caught by Abu Jahl, but he didn't know we were Muslim yet. So he came to us and he said, Ila Ain, where are you going? So my father said, Hajatun lana. It's business. We're on a business trip between Mecca and Medina. And he said, basically interrogating them, Abu Jahl said, مَا جِئْتُمْ إِلَّا لِتُمِدُّوا مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ You're only going because you're going to support Muhammad وسلم, aren't you? He said, no, it's just a business trip. I have a place in Mecca, I have a place in Medina. It's not uncommon for me to travel between the two places. So basically after Abu Jahl interrogated them, he took on them He took an oath from them that they would not support the Prophet against them. They would not come out with the Prophet against them. And so they took that oath. Now look at how honorable the Prophet is. This is subhanAllah so beautiful because it shows you how the Prophet does not relinquish his ethics no matter how vulnerable he is. Badr comes very shortly after the Hijrah, right? The Battle of Badr is about to take place. And so they went to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, Ya Rasulullah, we took this oath with Abu Jahl, but we want to go out with you. What do we do? Do we honor the oath to a man, subhanAllah, who has done all sorts of horrible things to the Prophet ﷺ? What has the Fir'aun of this Ummah, Abu Jahl, not done to the Prophet ﷺ in this Ummah? Boycotted tried to kill, in fact, killed multiple companions. All of this, who cares about your oath to Abu Jahl? 
right? But the Prophet says, Nafi bi ahdikum, keep your oath, and we'll seek Allah's help against them. So keep your oath and we'll seek Allah's help against them. SubhanAllah, the Prophet told them, it's honorable that you want to come, but it's more honorable that you honor your oath, even to a man like Abu Jahl. We're not a people who betray. This is a beautiful example in the history of Islam. And so you can imagine Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the pain that he feels, and his father, Al-Yaman anhu, waiting in Medina to hear the news of Badr until he says that we heard the beautiful news of the victory that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to the Prophet and to our companions that went out to support the Prophet So he's growing up amongst the likes of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. And we know who Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh is. He's growing up around Usaid. He's growing up around Abbad. He's growing up around the best of the young companions around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when the Prophet made Mu'akha, it gets very interesting as well. When he paired off the Muhajirin and the Ansar, they actually are the only people that are given the choice. Do you want to be Muhajirin or Ansar? Because you're both Makki and Madani. So what do you want to be? Now obviously, the easier route would have been to choose which one? What's the easier route? Muhajirun. Oh, we don't have to spend on anybody. We don't have to host anybody. We'll be Muhajirin, right? We'll just, we'll take that title. But they understood the reward in being hosts. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu said, Kultu bal ana ansariyun ya Rasulullah. I am one of the Ansar, O Messenger of Allah. And indeed that was more fitting to them because they were actually Madani in their orientation and in the way that they had grown up. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. So the Prophet accepted that they were from the Ansar, rather from the Muhajireen. And Rasulullah pairs him off with Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu will host Ammar ibn Yasir in his home radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And subhanAllah, there's a profound bond that is shared between these two men, Hudayfa and Ammar. Why? Because Hudayfa is going to become the companion who the Prophet gives all the ahadith about the fitan, all the trials and tribulations to strike this ummah. And Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu is at the center of the fitan to come. Right? His death in particular is the greatest prophecy of the fitan because the Prophet said about Ammar, the army that's in the wrong will kill Ammar and Hudayfa is the one who memorizes all these ahadith about the fitan and they live together and what a home of ibadah, a home of worship, a home of qiyam, a home of Quran, a home of two young men that used to come to the Prophet uh, and to surround him in every single one of his mashahid, in every single one of his battles, and every significant incident that we find in the seerah. Now, Hudayfa radiallahu anhu his siblings, just very quickly, his siblings and his mother, in fact, all become uh, Muslim as well. So his mother is a, a woman by the name of Ar-Rabbab bint Ka'b, not related to Nusayba, Ar-Rabbab bint Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala anha. And so she became Muslim and she died uh, a Sahabiyah as well, and she gave bay'ah to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, al-Rabbab. Uh, he has a brother named Safwan, radiallahu anhu, is one of the people of Uhud, and that's all we know about him. He has a sister named Khawla, and what you'll notice about this family is that they were very poor. And Khawla, uh, radiallahu ta'ala anha, al-Yamaniyya, the only hadith we have from her, subhanAllah, it shows you the simplicity of the companions, is that she came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam concerned because she owned only one garment. 
And so she was worried that if some blood or something that she felt might be impure came on her garment that she would not. She said, I pray in this garment. I use this garment for everything. It's one garment that I have. And the Prophet ﷺ told her to wash it and it's okay. To wash the blood from it and it's okay. So that's the only hadith we have from her. The only hadith we have from another sister named Fatima, the sister of Hudayfa, is that she says that a group of women went to visit the Prophet ﷺ when he was passing away. And we saw the sweat of the Prophet ﷺ from his fever. And so we asked the Prophet ﷺ, if you would make dua and Allah would remove this sickness from you. Remember the Prophet ﷺ, his fever was so hot that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said that touching his body would burn you. SubhanAllah, that's how hot the fever of the Prophet ﷺ got. And the Prophet ﷺ said that, I am tested twice as much because I have twice the reward. So this is two of the rewards uh, for suffering, double the test. So we asked the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, if only you'd make dua to Allah to remove the sickness from you. And he responded that the people that are tested most in this life are the prophets and then those who follow them and then those who follow them. So this is the family of Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He on the other hand has over 300 narrations. So multiple ahadith from him and obviously his suhbah with the Prophet ﷺ, his companionship was special. And a side note of that, that this is not uncommon in the seerah that one child becomes a very close companion of the Prophet ﷺ and the others become average relative to the Sahaba, they're the best generation of all time, which shows you that even then there were levels amongst them. There were levels amongst them. And in the case of Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that was his level with the Prophet Now, there are many twists and turns in his story that continue. So they missed Badr, right? Because they took an oath with Abu Jahl, of all people, that they would not support the Prophet against him. Now, Uhud is a purely defensive battle. Badr, the Muslims were trying to intercept caravans that had their stolen possessions, right? So there is an offensive and defensive nature to it at the same time. Uhud is purely an aggression that's coming from the outside. And they wanted to be with the Prophet to fight against the Meccans as they were coming now to Medina to murder the Muslims. Now Yaman, Al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the father of Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, at this point was too old to fight. Okay, so he's one of the elderly people of Al-Madina and he doesn't find, or he finds an excuse from the Prophet where the Prophet tells him not to go out, that it's okay, that stay home and basically, you know, take care of yourself. And Hudayfa radiallahu anhu narrates the story of Uhud and there's, you know, a different vantage point for each one of these companions. He says that my father and his friend, who was a man by the name of Thabit ibn Waqsh, Thabit ibn Waqsh, so my father, Al-Yaman, and Thabit ibn Waqsh were two old men, they were friends. And the Prophet gave them permission to stay back because of their being elderly. And so they stayed with those that were left behind, right? And he says that what ended up happening is that when the battle of Uhud started, subhanAllah, listen to the story. That my father said to Thabit, 
They were obviously amongst women, children, and others that were not fighting in the battle of Uhud. لا أبالك Which is an expression that the Arabs have. Like, you know, uh, when I say فكيلتك أمك May your mother lose you, you have no father. It's, a, it's like, what are we doing? Like, woe to you, what are we doing here? So he said, ما ننتظر What are we waiting for? فوالله ما بقي لواحد منا من عمره إلا ضمأ حمار So the only time we have left in our lives anyway is what it would take to quench the thirst of a donkey. I know these translations are awkward, all right, I'm trying. But literally, the point is, is that we're old and we're going to die anyway. Right? We're old and we're dying anyway. So he says, إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ هَامَةُ الْقَوْمِ أَلَا نَأْخُذُ أَسْيَافَنَا ثُمَّ نَلْحَقُ بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Why don't we just take our swords and go fight alongside the Prophet We've got nothing to lose anyway. We're dying anyway, we're elderly anyway. Let's make the most out of whatever time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has still given to us. And Allah might bless us with shahada. We might be blessed with martyrdom. It's better for us, instead of dying as elderly men in our beds, let's go to Uhud. And if we die as shuhada, alhamdulillah, we're good with that, right? So basically, both Thabit and Al-Yaman Despite being prompted, don't go out, right, by the, their families, they put on their armor and they went out to Uhud. Now, subhanAllah, look how interesting this is. They got to Uhud after the battle had already been raging. So it was in the intensity of the battle. They didn't get there before the battle even started. They got there and the battle had already begun. Maybe you see where the story is going. All right? They're fully covered because, and, and the narration even says, they used to cover their faces with armor, right? And they jump into the battle coming from the direction of Medina as the battle is raging on. Now, obviously, the core strategy of Khalid ibn al-Walid at that time fighting against the Muslims was to attack from behind. So the Muslims are getting attacked from behind and from in front, right? So unfortunately, there's confusion here. Who are these two men that suddenly jump into the battle from this side? As for Thabit ibn Waqsh, he was quickly killed by one of the mushrikeen. Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And subhanAllah, you recognize your, your father, even though he's fully armored. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu sees his father from a distance enter into the battlefield. And he sees that the Muslims turn towards him and they think that he's one of the enemy. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says that I started to scream as loud as I could, Abi, Abi. Abi, ya ibadullah, Abi, ya qawm, Abi, my father, my father, that's my dad, that's my father. And he said that they couldn't hear me through the swords and through the commotion of the battle. And by the time I got there, the Muslims accidentally killed him. So Al-Yaman, this is a very complicated story. Al-Yaman, radiallahu anhu, was basically killed by friendly fire by accident, right? By the time they got there, and again, it was logical for them to assume that it was an enemy that had come from behind. Hudayfa was in a lot of pain, right? Because he was screaming, Abi, Abi, that's my dad. Ya ibadullah, don't do it. But obviously this is battle. So he said, by the time I got there, uh, they had accidentally killed him. And they, they started to apologize and they started to say, Wallahi ma arafnahu. We swear by Allah, we didn't know who he was. We thought he was one of the enemies. And they wept, right? They're, this is a very emotional moment. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu knows that what they did was not intentional and it was intense um, in that moment. So he immediately said, 
He said the words of Yusuf May Allah forgive you and he is the most forgiving, the most merciful of those who show mercy. Now the Prophet saw this immediate forgiveness, which is a sign of Iman, it's a sign of faith that Hudayfah has. He immediately forgave them and he said, you know, SubhanAllah, my father wanted shahada, Allah granted him shahada. And actually the narration suggests he kept on saying, may Allah forgive you, may Allah forgive you. I'm not, I can't hold this against you. I understand why you thought he was from the enemy at that moment. And the Prophet saw that and the Prophet was so moved by his iman, by his faith, by the way that he responded to that situation, that the Prophet paid him a diya, basically a compensation from Baytul Mal, because who are you going to, who, who was in the wrong here? The Muslims, this wasn't like a personal dispute. This was the Muslims that accidentally harmed one of their own. So who's in the wrong here? So the Prophet gave him a personal compensation of a hundred camels. A hundred camels, by the way, is enough to retire at that time. I mean, this is the equivalent of becoming a millionaire overnight, right? And Rasulullah wanted to show Hudayfah that love because this is a very unfortunate incident, very unique to the other sufferings that the Muslims have had. Hudayfah took all 100 camels and he distributed it to the poor amongst the Muslims. All 100 camels. The Prophet he saw like it, it increased the respect, the honor that the Prophet had for Hudayfah For him to turn around and do that with no pressure whatsoever is a sign of the nobility of Hudayfah and he said, my father wanted shahada and Allah gifted him shahada. As for those brothers, may Allah forgive them. And actually one of the narrators is Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Urwa, I don't want to test you all, but the main narrator of Aisha is the nephew of Aisha, Urwa ibn Zubair. Urwa, he narrates about this. Because this is not something that just goes away, right? It's not like pain that suddenly disappears. This is a pain that's going to stay with you for a very long time. He says, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا زَالَتْ فِي حُذَيْفَةَ بَقِيَّةُ خَيْرٍ حَتَّى لَحِقَ بِاللَّهِ Which basically means that Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu maintained that goodness and continued to ask Allah, and this is the explanation of Muhaddithin, he continued to ask Allah to forgive those companions until he met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He would continue to ask Allah to forgive them for the mistake that they had made until he uh, met his, his father once again as he met his maker and returned to him. This all shows you that there's a reason why Allah will trust Hudayfah the Prophet will trust Hudayfah in a very unique way. This is clearly a person of amana. This is clearly a person of iman. This is a person of faith. This is a person of trust. This is a person of sincerity. He's not utilizing any situation. He's demonstrating the highest of ethics, the highest of characteristics, the highest of qualities. And so this is where the Prophet will treat him differently from all of the other Sahaba, all of the other companions. And that's where he becomes Sahib al-Sir, the secret keeper of the Prophet Imagine being a person, the one man who the Prophet entrusts with a list and he does not give that to any single other human being. As much as the Prophet loved Abu Bakr anhu and loved Umar and Uthman and Ali Hudayfa is the one man 
who the Prophet gave that list of the hypocrites to. So there are multiple narrations in this regard. One of them, that the Sahaba used to ask the Prophet they used to ask Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the tabi'een, what is nifaq? What is hypocrisy? فَقَالَ أَن تَتَكَلَّمَ بِالْإِسْلَامِ وَلَا تَعْمَلْ بِهِ The simplest, bare minimum, may Allah protect us, that you speak of Islam but you don't do anything with it. You don't act in accordance with it. لِمَا تَقُولُونَ مَا لَا تَفْعَلُونَ Why do you say that which you don't do? Pushing the companions, pushing the tabi'een to live up to their best selves. And Hudayfa radiallahu anhu was one of the strictest people. And there's another thing that makes him safe from hypocrisy in one way. He says radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this is the most famous narration of Hudayfa, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ Which shows you the psychology even of the companions. People used to ask the Prophet ﷺ about the good things. Everyone wanted Jannah. Everyone wanted to hear about the great things, right? And that's why there's a Jannah series. It's okay, it's psychology, right? We did a Jahannam webinar too, by the way, if any of you missed it, okay? But even the Sahaba, most people want to hear about Jannah. They want to talk about Jannah. They want to hear about the good things. قَالَ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنَ الشَّرِّ As for me, I used to ask the Prophet ﷺ about the evil. I'd ask the Prophet ﷺ about the bad things. And he says, مَخَافَةَ أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي out of fear that it would strike me or that I would be afflicted with it. So this has two meanings as the ulama mentioned, because in, in one narration, in bihi, for me to fall into it, that one of them is that he would ask the Prophet about the bad times ahead. Most of the Sahaba wanted to hear about the good times ahead, the victories that were ahead. I would ask the Prophet about al-fitan, about the tough times ahead so I could navigate them properly. The second one is about the punishment of the hereafter. And truly, subhanAllah, the cure for nifaq is dhikrunar. The cure for hypocrisy is remembering hellfire. Truly. SubhanAllah that there are multiple means, obviously, you know, secret, private, good deeds and things of that sort. But there is no doubt that the sahaba that were f furthest, and all of them are of the highest level, furthest from I can't even say that. The Sahaba that used to talk about how much they feared hellfire used to also talk about how much they feared hypocrisy and you can find a correlation there. Umar ibn Khattab was one who talked about hellfire as if he was going to be a resident of hellfire. He feared nifaq, feared hypocrisy and that was a quality of his sincerity and all of the Sahaba are honored and we consider them to be from the sincere in this regard. But Hudayfa stands out here. He says, look, people used to ask the Prophet some good things, I'd ask him, Bad things. فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنَّا كُنَّا فِي جَاهِلِيَّةٍ وَشَرٍ فَجَاءَنَ اللَّهُ بِهَذَا الْخَيْرِ فَهَلْ بَعْدَ هَذَا الْخَيْرِ مِنْ شَرٍ And it's a long narration, but he says, O Messenger of Allah, in the days of ignorance, we were, or we were in the worst situation. And Allah brought to us through you all of this goodness, all of this light, all of this clarity. So is there harm after this good? And the narration goes on to have some of the signs of Al-Fitan, uh, the, the tribulations that will come after him. And he was asked عنه, what is the worst fitna? What is the worst fitna? That good and evil are both presented to you and you're so confused that you don't know which one to leave off. When fitna involves the element of deception, not just trial and test, when you don't know who's right and who's wrong, when you can't decipher anymore through the deception, that's the scariest type of fitna. May Allah protect us 
and spare us from falling into it. Allahumma ameen. So he feared that so much, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he used to be known amongst the companions as sort of a, a straight shooter and someone who had that disposition, right? Uh, someone who had a disposition where he was very serious. So companions had different personalities. You can see in all of Hudayfa radiallahu anhu's interactions with the tabi'een especially, he had a very serious disposition, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, in one narration, he says, Wallahi inni la'alamun nasi bi kulli fitnatin hiya ka'inatun fima bayni wa bayna sa'a. It's a powerful narration. He said, I swear by Allah that I am the most knowledgeable of the people in regards to all of the fitan that will happen between me and the day of judgment. And he said in another narration, Qama fina Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam maqaman fahaddathana bima huwa ka'inun ila qiyam as-sa'a fahafidahu man hafidahu wa nasiyahu man nasiyahu. Imagine this, subhanAllah, he said the Prophet stood up amongst us and he just went on and on about all of the tribulations to happen between his time, sallallahu alayhi wa until the day of judgment. And he said, so those who memorized it, memorized it, and those who forgot, forgot. And Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the one who memorized the most. And so the things that are happening right now, how much of that was implied in what the Prophet was sharing with him uh, anhu, out of trust for him so that he could help guide the ummah through its, uh, through its tribulation. The main thing that you find from him, the main fitna that anhu speaks about often is when you can't trust people anymore, when the trust is gone. And so you read in, in Al-Bukhari, the chapter on the, uh, the lifting of trust and Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, the Prophet narrated to us two things, one of which I have seen happening with my own eyes, the other one I'm waiting for. He narrated to us that amana was preserved, trustworthiness was preserved in the roots of the hearts of men. And then they learned it through the Qur'an. They learned that amana through the Qur'an and then they learned it from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then the Prophet sallallahu told us about its... Uh, alleviation, or when Allah will take it away from us. And he said, a person will go to sleep whereupon amana will be taken from their heart and only its trace will remain resembling the traces of fire. Uh, and this is where you start to find, by the way, amana and iman going hand in hand. Um, iman and amana have the same root, right? Faith and trust, the trust, right, is there. So he goes on to say that at that point, there will come a time when people deal in business with each other and you will not be able to find a trustworthy person amongst them to the point that it would say, Inna fi bani fulan rajulan amina. Go to that place all the way over there and you'll find a trustworthy person. Right? So amana is lost and that's a sign of the loss of iman, a sign of the loss of faith amongst the people as well, which shows you that religion is deeply embedded in how we deal with one another. Right? And he goes on to speak about at that point, a person will be admired for his intelligence, for his appearance, for his strength, but he will not have iman in his heart equal to a mustard seed. So people will admire the intelligent person, the person of appearance, the person of strength, but the person has no iman and people will speak highly of him. Right? So he's saying that this is the lower standard that comes amongst the people at that point, the loss of trust. And, uh, you know, he goes on to say, there will come a time when, or th there was a time where I didn't mind dealing with any of you because if he was a Muslim, his religion would prevent him from cheating. 
And if he was not a Muslim, then the ruler would prevent him from cheating, meaning good governance. Okay? But today he said, I can't deal with except for this person and this person and this person. Like truly, Amana becomes lost amongst the people. So he hated that loss of trust and he is the most trustworthy or of the most trusted of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Now he also narrates, who also had this close relationship with the Prophet ﷺ. We used to pray with the Prophet ﷺ often. Uh, so he says, كَانَ نَبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا حَزَبَهُ أَمْرٌ Beautiful hadith. He says that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was distressed by anything, he immediately went to salah. And he narrates some of the qiyam of the Prophet ﷺ. قَالَ صَلَّيْتُ مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ فَمَا مَرَّتْ بِهِ آيَةُ رَحْمَةٍ إِلَّا وَقَفَ عِنْدَهَا يَسْأَلْ وَلَا آيَةُ عَذَابٍ إِلَّا تَعَوَّذَ مِنْهَا It's an authentic hadith. He said that I once prayed with the Prophet ﷺ and he did not come across a single ayah of rahmah, of mercy, except that he stopped and he asked Allah for that mercy. And he, he did not come across a single ayah which spoke of punishment, except that he stopped وسلم, and he sought Allah's refuge from that punishment. So he was with the Prophet وسلم, in his Qiyam as well, and he's one of those who could not handle the length of the Qiyam of the Prophet وسلم. So as sincere of a man as he was, no one, no one could stand with the Prophet وسلم, in Qiyam for the entire night. Because the Prophet وسلم, could stand the entire night and, and be on one ayah, right? And people would just... Even Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, right? Who loved the Qur'an, they couldn't stand with the Prophet sallallahu throughout the entire night, even though they loved the Qur'an and they loved praying with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Finally, he narrates, and this is profound because when he would narrate the hadith about the fitan, about the trials and tribulations to come, he also narrates this hopeful hadith of the Prophet sallallahu hawd, the Prophet sallallahu fountain. And he said that I heard the Prophet sallallahu say to us in the hawdi, that verily my hell is bigger than the space between Ayla, Jerusalem, and Adin in Yemen. He said that I will be, uh, um, you know, uh, driving some people away from it the way that a man drives some camels away from it. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, would you recognize us? And the Prophet said, that I would recognize you by your wudu. And he said that the wudu would come on your faces and on your hands and your feet, and all of you would have this mark. So this is a hadith from Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, which was the hope of the Ansar, that after this is all said and done, we get to be back with our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi passes away. So what's Hudayfa radiallahu anhu like after the death of the Prophet sallallahu Subhanallah, uh, this relationship between him and Umar radiallahu anhu is a powerful one. Umar bin Khattab was the Khalifa and he used to watch to see if Hudayfa was praying janazah on somebody. And if he didn't see Hudayfa go pray janazah on someone, then Umar appointed someone else to pray the janazah. Why? Because he assumed that must be one of the munafiqeen. I'm not about to pray janazah on a hypocrite. Okay, subhanAllah. He would, he would let the janazah be performed, but he looks around, he looks in the masjid, is Hudayfa there? Hudayfa's not there? Someone else lead the salah. And of course, Umar anhu had a particular distaste for the hypocrites as well. And he was the one that was trying to prevent the Prophet from praying upon Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul as well. But here's what makes this even more powerful. Umar anhu drove Hudayfa anhu crazy with what question? 
يا حذيفة أأنا من المنافقين يا حذيفة أأنا من المنافقين يا حذيفة أأنا من المنافقين حذيفة am I one of them حذيفة did the Prophet Sallallahu mention me amongst them am I on that list of Hudayfa? How many times did the Prophet ﷺ give Umar anhu the Bushra of Jannah, the glad tidings of paradise? And he still, So finally, Hudayfa said to him, No, but don't ask me about anyone else. Like, halas, you got your answer, and I'm negating, you're not on the list, okay? You move on with your life. You're not a hypocrite. But don't ask me about anyone else. Now, Umar radiallahu anhu got one name out of him, which was himself. Then Umar radiallahu anhu said, Tayyib, my Umman, all of the people that I've appointed as heads of state, as heads of, as governors and leaders. And he used Umman, which is the largest uh, umbrella. So anyone I've appointed under my khilaf and my administration, any of them hypocrites? Hudayfa radiallahu anhu said, I told you, la uzaki ba'dak. I'm not going to tell anyone after, or I'm not going to say anyone's name after you. Umar radiallahu anhu said, Hudayfa, look, this is khilafa, the implications are large, the amana, I need to know. Any one of them, hypocrites. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu said, only one. Umar radiallahu anhu said, who? And he wouldn't give him the answer. So he said, look, it's a secret of the Prophet sallallahu I can't tell you. Then Hudayfa radiallahu anhu is narrating this. He said, after Umar got frustrated with me and he wouldn't get the answer, he said, subhanAllah, it was as if Allah opened Umar radiallahu anhu's heart to the truth because he dismissed that one person. And I thought to myself, it's as if, and this is of course, muhaddath, like Umar radiallahu anhu was spoken to. He's guided towards the truth. It's as if Umar radiallahu anhu went home and like prayed on it at night and he was just naturally guided to who the hypocrite that he had appointed amongst his administration was and he dismissed him. Which shows you, subhanAllah, that Look, the success of these people was not something that was just worldly, right? It wasn't just like Umar radiallahu anhu's brilliance. At the end of the day, it was their taqwa. It was their piety and the blessing that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine, only one hypocrite in Umar radiallahu anhu got rid of him by divine intuition, by the aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala towards him. Now, Umar radiallahu anhu used to love Hudayfa radiallahu anhu and he used to trust him because he knew his position with the Prophet and the thing Umar radiallahu anhu feared most, which was hypocrisy, was what Hudayfa radiallahu anhu was declared to be free from, right? So of course he's going to keep him close to him in many different situations. And Umar radiallahu anhu was also very afraid of the fitna, of trials and tribulations, and specifically him being on the wrong side of any type of fitna that would happen amongst the Muslims. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says, كُنَّا عِنْدِ عُمَرِ فَقَالَ أَيُّكُمْ سَمِعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم يَذْكُرُ الْفِتَنَ who amongst you heard the Prophet I'm talking about fitna? So, a bunch of people said, we heard the Prophet I'm talking about fitna. So, Umar radiallahu anhu said, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْنُونَ فِتْنَةَ الرَّجُلِ فِي أَهْلِهِ وَجَارِهِ Maybe you're talking about the fitna that comes through, you know, a person's family or their neighbor. Is that what you're talking about? So they said, yes, like your fitna. Uh, is in your life, right? You're tested through what Allah has blessed you with. So they said yes. And Umar anhu responded, That type of fitna, prayer, fasting, and charity, will do away with that type of fitna. He says, So 
said, who amongst you heard the Prophet Sallallahu talking about the fitna that strikes the community like waves, one after the other? So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu said, Askat al-Qawm, everyone was quiet. So I knew Umar radiallahu anhu was trying to get me to talk. So I said, Ana ya amir al-Mu'mineen. I heard the Prophet Sallallahu talking about this. Qala anta lillahi abuk, which basically means your father was also a blessed man, right? He praised the father, al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he said, Hadithna anil fitan, tell us about the fitna. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu goes on to say, Samir'tu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul, تُعْرَضُ الْفِتَنُ عَلَى الْقُلُوبِ كَالْحَصِيرِ عُودًا عُودًا فَأَيُّ قَلْبٍ أُشْرِبَهَا نُكِتَ فِيهِ نُكْتَةٌ سَوْدَاء وَأَيُّ قَلْبٍ أَنْكَرَهَا نُكِتَ فِيهِ نُكْتَةٌ بَيْضَاء That the fitna would be exposed to the people like waves upon waves and like the Prophet ﷺ is mentioning like, a, like a, the way that a mat is woven stick by stick and he said so whatever heart absorbs it will have a dark spot placed in every place that it absorbs it. And whatever heart pushes it away will be purified, will be uh, bright in that space. Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically makes it like two hearts. You have the bright heart, which is like a white stone that would shine no matter what it comes on it. Turmoil will go on it and it will endure whatever the heavens and the earth uh, present it with. And I'm paraphrasing obviously in the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned, or a dark heart that is like an upside down uh, vessel and basically every, everything from the earth that comes on it will cover it and it will be completely covered in that fitna. So when Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, said that, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu asked Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu um, you know, about what's next. And Hudayfa radiallahu anhu said, the Prophet sallallahu said, that بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهَا بَابًا مُغْلَقًا He said, why are you asking, O Amir al-Mu'mineen? Because the Prophet ﷺ has indicated, or don't worry about it, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, because between you and this type of fitna, there's a door, a shut door. This is one of the most profound conversations in Islamic history. Between you and the fitna, O Umar, I know what you're worried about. There's a door. Umar anhu says, يُفْتَحْ أَمْ يُكْسَرْ is that door going to be opened or is that door going to be broken? So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu said, Bal yuksar. Rather, it will be broken. And Umar radiallahu anhu left the gathering. Who is the door? Umar is the door. So Umar radiallahu anhu knows he's the door. I mean, this is the way that these companions understood each other. SubhanAllah, the way that Allah Azawajal was allowing them to understand each other in this situation. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu knows that, that he is the door between the fitna and yuksar means will I be killed or will I die a natural death? Yuftah means that I'll die a natural death. Yuksar means someone will kill me. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu is telling Umar radiallahu anhu bal yuksar, rather you will be killed. Subhanallah and that's exactly what happened to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and indeed the fitna started after the assassination of Umar radiallahu anhu, the golden age under Umar al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, appointed Hudayfa radiallahu anhu in the armies. Um, he was amongst those that led some of the armies that, uh, that opened much of what is modern day Iraq and Iran. So Nahawand, Array, which is Tehran, the major city in Iran. These were actually opened under Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Umar radiallahu anhu sent him to Madain temporarily as a governor. Now it was actually, I had to do a little bit of research on this. 
Salman al-Farisi was the governor of Mada'an and this is what we read in his seerah and what appears to be the case is that Umar initially put Hudayfah for a short time and then Salman assumed the post of Mada'an Mada'an is basically on the outskirts of Baghdad it was the main city, it was the palace of Kisra right? so it's the center city of the Persian Empire and initially Umar sent Hudayfah ibn al-Yaman in charge of it and then it was and of course this was common in the time of Umar that posts were moved and people were moved from different places um, in this regard so Umar sends Hudayfah to Mada'an and he sends him with a document to read, read out to the people and the document says اسمعوا له وأطيعوا وأعطوه ما سألكم that listen to what he has to say, obey him, and give him what he asks of you. So Hudayfah is the person who is being sent in charge initially after Mada'an comes under Muslim rule. This is the center of the Persian Empire. And they have just been under the most pompous ruler of the day, Kisra, Khosro, who wore more wealth than the Muslims had ever seen in their lives. Right? And his palace is the biggest palace in the world at the time. And now they're all awaiting their new leader to come. Okay? So Talha radiallahu anhu says, Qadima Hudayfatu al Mada'an ala Himar. Hudayfah radiallahu anhu came in on a donkey. Sadilan rijlayhi. The donkey was so small, his legs were hanging off of the donkey. And he says, Wa biyadihi arqun wa raghif. Now, arqun here wa raghif would basically mean he had a loaf of bread and some condiment for the loaf of bread. Like he's got a bag of his, his lunch for the day. And he's also wearing uh, clothes that are patched. This is a very unfamiliar sight to them. Like, what in the world is happening here? And this shows you, by the way, subhanAllah, it's like when Umar anhu entered into Jerusalem. Who are you people? Why are you not, like, pompous? Right? What's going on here? So Hudayfah had patches on his clothes. He had his donkey. His legs are hanging off the sides. He's got his lunch for the day, which is some bread and some vinegar or something like that. And they're looking at him like... You're the new governor of Mada'an. You're assuming the area of Kisra. So Hudayfah said yes. So they said, okay, what's your, what's your um, ahd from Amir al-Mu'mineen? What's the covenant that, that came to you from the commander of the believers? So Hudayfah reads to them the ahd, the, the note from Umar al-Khattab So they say to him, and obviously they want to get on his good side because these people are used to oppressive rulers. So they don't want to get on the bad side of the new governor. So they say to him, Salma shit, ask us anything you want. Because the end of Umar anhu's letter with Hudayfa was, uh, give him whatever he asks you. So they said, Salma shit. So he said, to be honest with you, ta'aman akuluhu wa'ala fahimari hadha. He said, I just want some food for myself and some fodder for my donkey. He said, that's it? He said, that's it. The only thing I ask of you is that I can survive, I can eat amongst you, and my donkey can survive as well. And he didn't have any camels or any horses with him. And they were shocked. Now, so Hudayfah stays with them for some time with his donkey. And he is the governor of Mada'an for a short time. And then Umar sends a letter and tells him, come back to Medina, I want to see you. So it's as if Umar was, was uh, testing him. So... When he, start, when he comes back to Umar radiallahu anhu went on the outskirts of Medina waiting in anticipation to see Hudayfa, right? So he's kind of like ala tariq. He's waiting for him, looking for him. 
So when Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes, لَمَّا رَآهُ عَلَى الْحَالِ الَّتِي خَرَجَ عَلَيْهَا أَتَاهُ فَالْتَزَمَهُ وَقَالَ أَنْتَ أَخِي وَأَنَا أَخُوكَ When Umar anhu saw him come back in the same clothes and on the same donkey, he hugged Hudayfa and he said, You're my brother and I'm your brother. أَنْتَ أَخِي وَأَنَا أَخُوكَ Like, I love this man. SubhanAllah, he, went to, he just went to the treasure trove of the Persian Empire and he came back in the same clothes and on the same donkey. Like, that is what I expected of you, O Hudayfa. أَنْتَ أَخِي وَأَنَا أَخُوكَ You're my brother and I'm your brother. SubhanAllah. Radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. Uh, so Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu um, settled in Iraq in his old age. Uh, and very interestingly enough, he used to go to Kufa every Jum'ah, every Friday. So he would spend the week in Mada'an, and then he would go to Kufa every single Friday, which is not a small journey. And he would teach the young people of the Ummah. He was a muhaddith radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was a murabbi. He was a person of tarbiyah who mentored and who guided many of the Muslims radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna go through these a little bit quicker um, in this regard. But one of the things that you realize when you read the narrations of Hudayfa radiallahu anhu is there's usually a story behind them. So for example, he saw a man, a young man who was known to uh, pass gossip. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu threw some pebbles at him in the masjid, told him, come here. And he said, I heard the Prophet say, لا يدخل الجنة نمام. A namam will not enter paradise. A slanderer will not enter paradise. So this actually comes from that, right? Like the the uncle sahabi in the masjid radiallahu anhu, and I say that with love, subhanAllah, like the senior murabbi, like get over here. Look, you're, you're going around passing rumors about people. So imagine what Hudayfa radiallahu anhu would say about your WhatsApp and your social media. All right? Like, settle down. You don't want to not go to paradise, right? A person who does this type of behavior is not going to enter into Jannah. In another uh, narration, he saw a man who was praying, a young man who was praying. And the narration says, What does taffafa mean? Right? I don't want to go too much into detail with this, but al-mutaffafin are people that they, they cheat on the weights, right? They kind of, it's, it's really 0.9, but they tell you it's 0.8, right? They, they always underestimate they're cheating with the weights. So what the, what the Sahaba called a person who prays too fast, okay, is they are doing, they're basically mutaffafin with their salah. You're cheating with your prayer. And what did that usually refer to? That a person, as the Prophet ﷺ saw that man and said, get up and pray, you haven't prayed. What was it? That he wasn't settling in every position. So if you're not settling in every position, it's like you're not praying, right? There has to be a bare minimum of getting up from your rukur, standing, let your bones settle, rukur, settle, sujood, settle, between the two sajdas, settle. There has to be a level of tranquility that's achieved in your posture. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu saw this man come in, prayed like this, Hudayfa radiallahu anhu called him over and he said to him, منذ كم تصلي هذه الصلاة? How long have you been praying like this? قال منذ أربعين عاما 40 years قال ما صليت منذ أربعين عاما You haven't prayed for 40 years. SubhanAllah, I mean it's demoralizing, right? And he says, وَلَوْ مِتَّ وَأَنْتَ تُصَلِّ هَذِهِ الصَّلَاةِ لَمِتَّ عَلَى غَيْرِ فِطْرَةِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ If you would have died and this was your salah, you would have, you would have died not on the way of Muhammad Like this is serious, by the way, a message especially to all of us in our salah. 
do not cheat with your salah. And then Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says to him, after he taught him how to pray again, he said to him, He said, look, it's possible for you to pray a light salah, a short salah, and still pray it right. But you have to have at the bare minimum, settle in every position of your salah. Do not pray like a rooster as the Prophet used to say. I'll go now towards subhanAllah his, his death because of the, the timing that we have. But there are multiple narrations of this and people obviously, I mean, because he lived long enough, people would try to go to Salman who is very close to him in Mada'an and they'd say something to Salman and they'd go to Hudayfa and say something to Hudayfa and go to Hudayfa and say Salman said this and go to Salman and say Hudayfa said this. So this was also something that he realized and recognized at his time and the Sahaba had to, I mean, playing that senior role amongst their generations had to uh, make sure to guide the people in that regard. Now, Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu would live just until the death of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Which is really subhanAllah amazing because the dua that we learn is tawaffani ilayk ghayra maftun. nasi fitna. As the Prophet taught us to say that if you, O Allah, have decreed a fitna that perhaps we will not be able to handle tawaffani ilayk, then let me die ghayru maftun, without being tested in this fitna. And I ask Allah for that for all of us. Allahumma ameen. That as the world becomes as crazy as it becomes, we don't ask, la tatamanna al-mawt. Don't ask for death. But a person can say that, oh Allah, as long as life is good for me, let, it, let me live. And as, if, if you know that death is better for me, then let death come to me. If fitna is going to become so overwhelming. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu used to make this dua, and Allah Azza wa Jal would grant him death right at the time of the assassination of Uthman radiallahu anhu. He lived only a few days after Uthman, he, he just got sick. SubhanAllah, after Uthman radiallahu anhu was assassinated, even though Uthman radiallahu anhu was assassinated in Medina, and this fitna was about to spread to the Muslim world, he's in Iraq. He dies a natural death right after, right after Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And uh, it's the year 63, after Hijrah, and there's even beauty in his death in this regard. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu was so poor that he says to some of the people, the young people around him, kafana, I want you to go purchase a kafan for me. So they thought, you know, Sahabi, Jalil, a noble companion. So they brought back a hulla, thamanuha, thala, They brought back a, a hulla, like a garment that's worth 300 uh, dirhams. This is an expensive garment. And listen to what he says. So take this back. Just go buy me the simplest two white garments that you can find. And he says, Because they will not stay with me except for a short time. But, but listen to this. He said that these two garments are going to stay on me for a short time. And then Allah is going to give me either a better two garments in its place, the best of garments, or Allah is going to give me the worst of garments, the most repulsive of them. So don't waste too much time on this kafan that you're going to bury me in. Because at the end of the day, it's the hasanat, it's the good deeds. It's my state of iman with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is very moving, subhanAllah, because when people die that we love them, we want to honor them so much, right? He's saying, look, this, this doesn't matter. 
This doesn't really matter. What matters is if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees me as someone who's pleasing to him, and Allah Azza wa Jalla replaces this kafan with a beautiful garment, or if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wal-iyadu billah sees me as someone not pleasing to him, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaces them with the worst of garments. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us all the best of garments. Allahumma ameen. Abu Mas'ud al-Ansari radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that I was with him when he was passing away, when his uh, fever uh, became strong. And Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu said at night, he prayed Qiyam that night. And he said at the time of Sahar, the end of his Qiyam, قَالَ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ صَبَاحٍ إِلَى النَّارِ I seek refuge in Allah from waking up to the fire. I seek refuge in Allah from waking up to the fire. I seek refuge in Allah from waking up to the fire. So he went to sleep and then he woke up after Fajr. Uh, you know, he prayed Fajr and then sometime later, uh, death came to him. And when death came to him, قَالَ حَبِيبٌ جَاءَ عَلَى فَاقَ لَا أَفْلَحَ مَنْ نَدِمْ he said, my beloved one has come to me in this state and a person who has regrets will not succeed. Is that which comes after me, not that which I already know. All praises be to Allah who saved me from the fitna, who took me before the fitna. And he died on those words. Now subhanAllah, something very interesting. He died on hamd, praising Allah. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu had a ring that he would wear that said Alhamdulillah on it. And so his last words were Alhamdulillah alladhi sabaqa bi al-fitna. All praises be to Allah who protected me from the fitna, who allowed me to die before the fitna would come, that he would, was already told by the Prophet about. Now I want to end with a story when he was still alive. And I want to preface the story because it's, it's probably the most profound story and we'll delay Isha a few minutes, but hopefully not, not long at all. But I want to preface it with a story from Miqdad. If you go back and you watch Miqdad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the story of Miqdad radiallahu anhu, the tabi'een used to meet the sahaba and they used to go, wow, you guys got to be with the Prophet How amazing your lives must have been, right? That was their impression when they met the sahaba. The sahaba were their superstars. They were their celebrities, right? Sahabi, you were with the Prophet and remember in Miqdad radiallahu anhu, there was a man that saw Miqdad and he said, How amazing, glad tidings to these two eyes that got to lay themselves on the Prophet Oh, how we wish we would have seen what you saw. And Miqdad was so upset. He said to him at that point, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by these people. What is it with you people that wish that you could have lived in a time that Allah spared you from and you don't know how you would have acted? And he went to talk about like, look, our lives as companions, we had tough things that happened to us. We had very difficult moments. And he goes on, Miqdad, to say, a lot of people failed this test and died as the worst of the worst. You don't know if you would have been Abu Bakr or Abu Jahl. So embrace the time that you live in and what you have and don't think that you're, you know, this, uh, that you would have definitely been from these Sahaba, that it was easy for us. We saw the Prophet and, and that was it. Hudayfa has a very, very similar story. In his old age, 
محمد بن كعب القرضي narrates قال فتى منا من أهل الكوفة قال لي حذيفة there was a young man from Kufa that went up to حذيفة رضي الله عنه in the masjid he was حذيفة بن اليمان أبا عبد الله very famous قال يا أبا عبد الله رأيتم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وصحبتموه you got to see the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and you got to be with him so حذيفة رضي الله عنه said نعم يا ابن أخي yes oh my nephew قال فكيف كنتم تصنعون he said, how was that like? Like, what did you used to do with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? We used to strive. We did our best with the Prophet Sallallahu We used to struggle. So he says, Wallahi, lo adraknahu ma taraknahu yamshi ala al-art. He said, if, if we would have lived with him, we wouldn't have let the Prophet Sallallahu feet touch the ground. We would have carried him on our shoulders. Now, maybe he's sincere. Maybe we all believe that to some extent, that we would have been there with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi And He says, we would have carried him on our shoulders. We would have never let the Prophet Sallallahu leave his home with his feet touching the ground. And Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says, Ya ibn akhi, listen, <laughs> oh my nephew. He says, Wallahi, laqad ra'aytuna ma'a Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam bil khandaq. He said, let me tell you about a moment. We're with the Prophet ﷺ in the trench. The Prophet ﷺ prayed some time of the night. And then he turned to us. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Who amongst you is going to go out and spy on the other army, right? As they're coming on the other side of the Khandaq. At this point, we're starving. It's cold. It's dark. It's dangerous. And the Prophet said, who amongst you is going to go and go to Abu Sufyan and, and, that, and the legions on the other side and see what they're planning to do with us? And he says, Not a single one of us stood up. You're saying that now. But there were some hard times with the Prophet And he said, The Prophet turned around and he prayed some more. And then he turned to us. And he said, Man yaqum. Who's going to stand up? Lana ma fa'al al-qawm. To go see what the enemies are planning to do. And no one stood up. And he did it a third time. And the Prophet said, Whoever does this, I ask Allah to make him my rafiq, my companion in paradise. He said, We were so beaten down. Look, they were starving at this point, afraid. 40 days in a ditch with no food and the people are barely alive. He said, at the, this is the time. Not a single one of us stood at this time. How many incidents do you find? Ana ya Rasulullah, ana ya Rasulullah, ana ya Rasulullah. This time, he said, it got so tough, no one stood up. So then the Prophet ﷺ eventually, da'ani. The Prophet ﷺ said, Hudayfa, come here. So he said, فَلَمْ يَكُنْ لِي بُدُّنْ I had no choice. The Prophet called me. I couldn't do anything. So he said, Ya Hudayfa, idhab. Oh Hudayfa, go and go amongst them and basically disguise yourself amongst them and see what they're planning to do against us. And the Prophet then made dua for me that Allah protect me from in front of me, from behind me, from my right, from my left, from above me, from uh, beneath me. And he said, and I went. And I saw the wind that Allah Azza wa Jal 
had placed Quraysh under. Now the Prophet made dua against Quraysh and one of the things that ended the khandaq, right, that ended the battle was that the rih, the, the storm that came on Quraysh would basically blow their tents and they weren't able to get anything done. So Abu Sufyan stands up and he complains. He said, we can't pitch a tent. We can't light a fire. We can't, our food is being blown away. We're, we're running out of resources. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says, I masked myself, it's pitch black. And if they find out, he's the one Muslim amongst them. If they find out that I'm there, I'm dead. Imagine, Hudayfa radiallahu anhu is narrating this. He said, you think this was easy for us? You know how scary that was? So I saw Abu Sufyan stand up and I saw his figure because of how dark it was. And he stood up and he said, this is what we're going through. And then Abu Sufyan, as if he sensed something, he said, everyone grab the person next to you and see who he is. As if Abu Sufyan likes, like sense, someone is spying here. So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says, intuitively, I said, I took the, the hand of the man next to me. And I said, man ant, man ant, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and I interrogated the man so much that the man said, I'm this person. Like, okay, like he's, he basically masked himself with his confidence. Alhamdulillah. Got out of that one. The man was so scared of the way Hudayfa interrogated him that he didn't ask Hudayfa who he was. So next time I say, say salam to the person next to you, right? I mean, subhanAllah, imagine the scene. But look, Hudayfa radiallahu anhu says, at that point, he said, subhanAllah. He said, I got away with it. And then Abu Sufyan stood up and said, listen, we're going to call this to an end. And tomorrow we're going to head back. And he said, Abu Sufyan, uh, I saw him at that point rise to the camel. And he said, I had an arrow. And he said, if the Prophet did not tell me not to cause commotion, I would have taken him out in that moment. SubhanAllah, of course, the qadr is that Abu Sufyan would embrace Islam later on. And we know the story, the rest is history. But he said, the Prophet told me, don't make any commotion. Just go listen and get their news. He said, I had a clean shot at him. I didn't take it. He said, I snuck back to the Prophet and in this narration, he said, Rasulullah what was he doing? What do you think the Prophet was doing? What was he doing? He was praying. He said, I was so exhausted that the Prophet he threw his shawl on me and I knocked out. I just went to sleep. So deep sleep, like And then the Prophet he said, I woke up to the Prophet saying, Qum ya no man which basically means stand up, sleepyhead, get up. No man, is, you're sleeping too much, get up. Time to wake up. So Hadith said, I woke up and the Prophet was pleased um, at the news that had come, obviously, that at that point Abu Sufyan had turned away with the army and the, uh, the massacre that was intended of Khandaq did not take place. SubhanAllah, the, the reason why I share this story is, you think, if you were him, Look at the answer of the tabi'een. We wouldn't have let the feet of the Prophet touch the ground. That's what you think. And that's what we think. And we want to be with our Prophet but at the same time, Allah knows what we would have actually done had we lived at that time. And we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our circumstances because at the end of the day, alhamdulillah, Allah guided us to Islam. And Allah azawajal has given us the best opportunity uh, to do uh, the best that we can with ta'ala. Just in conclusion, subhanAllah, Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu was buried in Iraq. There's a story, and I'm just going to mention it, um, that in 1932, the king of Iraq was, of course, Faisal ibn Hussein, the last king of Iraq. 
that he saw a dream of, of Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu whose grave was close to the Euphrates saying that the river is coming near my grave and I want you to move me. And uh, if you can actually put up the picture, so that's King Faisal ibn Hussein, and then the next picture. So this was actually a story in Iraq in 1932, and I was looking through the newspaper clippings where they reburied Hudayfa uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, or who they presumed to be Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and they said that his body was completely intact. Now, they buried this body next to Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala anhu in Iraq in 1932, and of course, we know that bodies being intact, this was the case with the shuhada of Uhud, with the martyrs of Uhud. The problem with the story is that they say uh, Hudayfa and Jabir ibn Abdullah, but Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu died in Medina. So I only say this because it could be, and it's something that uh, people may search online and you may have come across this. It may be that this is uh, the body of Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, but there's nothing to factually prove it, but what we do know uh, is obviously the miracle was the miracle of his life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him and be pleased with all of the companions of the Prophet May he protect us from hypocrisy. May he make firm in our hearts al-iman wal-amana, faith and trustworthiness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with these noble companions, with our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam around the held and fil firdaus al-a'la. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayra. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.